pray for that. Oh, what a, what a coincidence that tonight we have our corporate prayer meeting. So I encourage you to come. You can come pray silently, come pray with other people. But join us online. You can get the link if you just uh, email springvale.org. Uh, or info at springvale.org, and we would love to have you join us. We pray in a group together, and then we break up and pray in groups together. Just a reminder of our prayer meeting tonight. So how are you doing as we go into this next lockdown? I thought that we would be, as we enter the spring, we would be starting to be free, vaccinations would be going, and, and, and people would be starting to be free, and we would start to experience some of the freedom we've seen in the country south of us, and we would be up and going, but uh, we're in a lockdown. And uh, you know, I thank God that we have an opportunity to express our worship and our faith here on Sundays, but we're back in a lockdown. And uh, in case you didn't know, this is a historic time period. When, when historians look back on the global pandemic, the global COVID pandemic, they will say that was a, a altering, a world altering event. And people live through that. And, and I'm wondering, how are you doing living through it? Because for most people, I think the reality is we're not really thinking that, oh, I'm living in an historic event. We're thinking, I'm just trying to get through this historic, I'm just trying to cope with the reality of uh, COVID in my life. And so I asked some people, what are some things that you're coping with? And here's some of the answers. I, I wonder if some of these kind of connect with where you have found yourself. Uh, one person, uh, or I've had a number of people say, fear of getting sick or losing our income has really controlled us during this period of time. Others have said our marriage, our family has been on shaky ground. Too much isolation together hasn't really been good for us. Some, one person said, I find myself judgmental of others that don't respond to COVID regulations like I think they should and I'm getting all worked up about it. Another, I've really struggled with being consistent with my spiritual exercises. Truth is that TV, YouTube, social media, and gaming have pushed God really out of my life, even though I have time now. Others have said, I've gotten into some things that might be addictions and aren't really healthy for me. I'm, another, I'm struggling with God because he won't end the pandemic. I don't understand why he just doesn't bring this to an end. Others have said, I'm done being told where I can and I can't go, and when I can do it. Maybe we identify with that. My neighbor said that to me. I, I, I'm at the I'm done stage of this whole thing. Others have said, I've been questioning some of the things about Christianity and the church, and I'm less excited and less engaged in my faith. See, as a pastor, that concerns me. Comments like that concern me because I, I, I'm concerned that our circumstances are overcoming our faith rather than our faith overcoming our circumstances. Whenever we go into a trial and a test, that's always the danger, that our circumstances start to have far more influence on our decisions and our lifestyle than our faith has. And right now in this test, this COVID test, the test is really about getting through, about enduring. And so people have been focused on 
their families, their marriages, their jobs, careers, income, uh, having mental, emotional, and physical health, making sure there's no loss of income, and what would we do if we don't? We're so focused on those things, and they are good things, but the mindset is, well, I'll, I'll worry about my faith after I get through this COVID thing. I'm just kind of, kind of, I can't go to church, and, and I'm not meeting with people, and I'm not in community, and so I'll just kind of set it aside, and then when I get through COVID, I'll pick it back up again. And the only problem with that is what Jesus said when he, when, uh, he was quoted, and, and, and he said, uh, what good is it if a person gains the whole world, but then loses their soul? Well, that's a good question. What good is it if we are mentally, emotionally, physically healthy, but we lose our soul? What good is it if we have a job and our family is together and our, and our work is secure? All those are good things, but what good is it if we have those things, but we lose our soul? We lose our relationship with God. And so that's the test in this COVID thing. It's lasting way longer than anybody ever expected. And it's straining us way more in relationships, in our fears, in our apathy than anybody ever expected. And we still don't know, we we're talking this morning, we still don't know when this will end. I thought we would be starting to get in the clear and now we're back down into lockdown. And, and all these starts and stops, starts and stops, starts and stops are discouraging. And so what's happening is this subtle shift away from the importance of our relationship with God. And maybe that's part of the test. And so in this, in this time, I think there is one key question that we need to wrestle with as we continue on for who knows how long, and that is how do I develop a resilient faith? A faith that when tested doesn't just hang on and survive, a faith that when it's stretched and pulled and doubted and struggled over actually becomes more vibrant and, and more victorious and more powerful and deeper than it ever was before we went through the test. How do I create a resilient faith? Well, like an elastic that can be stretched and pulled but doesn't break and is remain strong. How do we develop a resilient faith? Well, that's the question that's kind of the jump off into the series we're going into, a series on the first letter Paul wrote to a group of Christians in a city called Thessalonica. The book is called First Thessalonians because I believe that Paul wrote this letter to help the Thessalonians build a resilient faith. And here's why I say that. We're going to start in the middle of the book in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. And this is Paul because this is where the purpose for Paul's writing this book comes out. And so I think we need to start here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. But brothers and sisters... 
When we, Paul meaning himself and uh, his, his team that worked with him, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person but not in thought, when we, we, and he compares himself like a child being abandoned, that's, that's how we feel. We've been orphaned because we've been separated from you. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Get those words, intense longing. We, we We want to see you. We want to be involved in your life. We want to know how things are going, but clearly they can't. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again and again and again. I kept wanting to come, but Satan blocked our way. Interesting words there, isn't it? Sometimes we think of Satan as a being that's out there. You know, he was at work in the Bible times, and Paul says he is at work actively blocking us, me, from getting to you. Stirring, and we'll find out how he was doing it as we go through this book. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, in which we glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? What's most important to us, he's saying? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. It's you. And we want to come to you. We want to make sure you're okay. Well, we won't understand why he wrote that until we look at the context of what was going on in this church. So Paul wrote this letter fairly soon after he left Thessalonica. But if you go back to Acts chapter 17, you can see the story of Paul beginning the church in Thessalonica. Acts 17, chapter 1, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, just stop here for a second. Paul, previous in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16 is the the Philippian jailer. It's where he cast a demon out of a woman, and, and she was a slave, and when Paul cast the demon out of her. She could no longer tell the future, and so the slave owners caused a riot. This was in Philippi. Do I have the the map, if I could have the map on the screen? And and they were in Philippi where, where, uh, where they were then put into prison because of the riot, and then they were beaten, and they were in stocks, and then an uh, earthquake happened, and they were let go, and then the, the political leaders in Philippi realized Paul is a Roman citizen. We put him in jail and beat him without a trial. They're in trouble if he makes a stink. They ask him, could you please leave? And Paul leaves, and so he was, when you see Philippi there, so you see Italy, the boot, and the next part that drops down, can we have the screen back again? Yeah, that's the Bosphorus Peninsula, what we call the day, but at the bottom where it says Achaia, that's Greece, and at the top in Macedonia, and Philippi is a major city in Macedonia, and Paul leaves, he's escorted out, and he heads left or west on the Via Ignatia, which is the major trade road that goes all the way from Rome to where we see Galatia, Cilicia, and Asia. That was a very wealthy area in the world, and that was a major trade route, and Thessalonica was kind of like the Toronto of that Macedonian region. Uh, Philippi was like the Ottawa, where all the 
bureaucrats and politicians live. Thessalonica was the, was the Toronto where the industry and the, econ- the economy really beat. It was a very big city and Paul heads left or west and he arrives at Thessalonica. It's not on the map, it's just about an inch to the left there. And still with the, the, the bruises and the seeping sores on his back after having been beaten for preaching the gospel, he comes to Thessalonica and preaches the gospel again. I'm going to stop and think. Uh, A ridiculing word will shut me down. But they beat him. And with the sore still weeping, he goes and preaches the gospel. What stops you from sharing your faith? Hmm, that's a good question. So he leaves, he goes through, doesn't stop at Amphibolus or Apollonia. He goes right to Thessalonica. It's a major city in the area. And as was his custom, Paul went to the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, so that's three Saturdays, so three weeks, he prisoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and, and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is Jesus I am proclaiming to you as the Messiah, he said. Now some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of Greeks and quite a few prominent women. women. And, and, and Paul, in preaching at Thessalonica, he wins over a, a huge group of Gentiles, a huge group of wealthy, powerful women, and some Jews. God, in three weeks, there's a revival that's happening in this place. People are coming to Christ all over the place, and Paul is preaching. But where God is at work, Satan is also at work, verse 5. But other Jews were jealous, the jealous Jews. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, they formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Deja vu all over again. That's just what happened in Philippi. Boom, it's happening here. So they rushed to Jason's house. Jason was one of the Jews that came to Christ and was a leader in the church. And they were searching for Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the others before the city officials and, and caused a riot. And, and people are screaming, people are yelling, people are beating. It's a, it's a, a riot that's happening. And the city officials, to calm it down, they, they make Jason and a, a few others post bail. These new believers, they have to post a bond and they settle down the rioting. And then they come to Paul and, and late, late at night, and they say, Paul, you got to get out of here. Because if you come out, this thing is like a powder keg. You're the spark. It's going to blow. So at, 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 quietly in the night, they had Paul, and they sent him on. And they headed left out of Thessalonica and headed to a next major city or major town, really, called Berea. And there he again, after being kicked out of two places and causing riots, he begins to speak the Bible. And you might recognize that name. You might not, Berea. The Bereans were of more noble character, and they reasoned with Paul and the scriptures. However, remember, where God's at work, Satan is too. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul, verse 13, was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up, and the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silence and Timothy stayed at Berea. 
Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with the instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So (laughs) the Bereans go, okay, we've seen this played out before. We know where this is going to go. So they then take Paul as the riots are beginning in Berea. They take Paul to the coast and then send him down some 200 miles away to Athens where the jealous Jews have no influence and where Paul is out of the way and he can't affect that the situation and the circumstances that are going on, and Paul is left in Athens by himself. Now, what do you think Paul is thinking about sitting in Athens? He's thinking, not on plane. Huh? So, uh, Crystal and I uh, felt that the spiritual well-being of our children was really important, and so we poured a lot of time and energy and money into it. And when they graduated from high school, we said to them, you can go to Bible school anywhere you want in the world. Now, as it turns out, it's actually cheaper to send them to Europe to Bible school than here in Canada or the United States. So we encouraged, go to Europe, it's an adventure. And they did, all three of them went to Cape and Ray schools in Europe, which are fabulous discipleship schools. But because they were so far away, uh, they had to get on the plane in September, and they left, and they didn't come back until April. And so during any breaks, they would travel with money they had saved, they would travel to see Europe, and after school was over, they'd travel. And so you can imagine that as each boy came home after being gone the full entire school year, we didn't get to see them, Um, they didn't use really FaceTime and Zoom wasn't even a thing, it was, but nobody really knew how to use it. And uh, so we, we, we really didn't see them or hear much from them during that six, seven months that they were gone. Now, one of our boys, he, this one will remain nameless, was, had done the thing, had left in September, had been gone, and it was April, and was due to come home, and the day that we were going to pick him up at the airport, he sent a t- email to Crystal, and here's the sum total of the email, not on plane. So he has been six to seven months away, He's in Europe, he's due to come home, and all we hear is, not on plane. Now if you're a parent, what's going on in your mind? Why aren't you on the plane, right? What is happening? And it didn't take Crystal and I long before we were picturing him laying in a hospital, gasping out his last breath, calling out for his parents, but we weren't there. That's where our minds went. We had no idea what was going on. We were concerned. We were worried. We wanted to know what was happening. And that's exactly what Paul is going through here. He's been kicked out of Philippi. He's been kicked out of Thessalonica. He's been kicked out of Berea. And now he sits in Athens, 200 miles south, maybe seven-day journey to walk. And he has no idea what is happening to these people he has led to Christ these churches that he has nurtured. What is going on? Are they surviving? They're being attacked. They're being persecuted. Are they going to last? Will their faith be resilient? That's what's on Paul's mind. Not on plane. He had no idea what was going on. And it killed him, just like it killed Crystal Now, by the way, I should probably finish that story. 
So we picture him on the hospital bed breathing, breathing his last. Well, what actually happened is we, he was on the plane and they had overbooked the plane coming to Toronto. And so he dickered with the airline company and got uh, a free night at a really nice hotel, a really nice dinner at an expensive restaurant, and 800 bucks cash, not 800 airline dollars. He wouldn't get off for that. He said, no, unless you give me cash, I'm not getting off. And they gave it to him. And so instead of laying on the bed, wheezing his last breath, he was backstroking through the pool after enjoying a beautiful steak dinner. But Paul didn't know what was happening. And so he did what you would expect him to do. Look at back in Thessalonians chapter three. So when we could stand it no longer, of course, like when my heart was just so heavy, when I was just so worried, did you, are, are you dying? Are you leaving God? Are you giving up your faith? Are you, are you going to try to gain the things of the world and lose your soul? When Paul is worried about these people who he had only been there three, four weeks and he's wondering how have they lasted when we could stand it no longer. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We, I think he means he and Silas, sent Timothy who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. See why he's sending him? See what he's concerned about? Their faith. We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you to help Build resiliency in your faith because you're under attack, you're in a test, and, and it's easy to lose your faith. And so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Nobody would topple over because of the attacks that are coming your way. That's why we're sending Timothy. That's what I'm concerned about in you. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. We told you if you're going to follow Christ, there will be times when you will be attacked, when you will suffer, when you will go, go through opposition. There will be times that are difficult. That is just the nature of being a follower of Christ. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And as it turned out, that's the way it turned out, as you well know. And for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, two times in just a few verses, I could stand it no longer. The emotional weight of these people on his heart. So I sent to find out about your faith. So that's what's, because to Paul, the greatest gift, the greatest asset, the greatest thing in their life is not their comfort, though he wants that for them, is, is not their well-being, though he wants that for them, is not their families, though that's important. The greatest, most important thing for them is that their faith would hold. Because all these other things that we're focusing on now are temporal. It's not that they're bad. I mean, family's important. Our jobs are important. Our health, mental health, emotional health, it's important. But this all ends. The only thing that is forever is our relationship, our faith in God. That's what carries us from this world to the next, from what is happening here to the glory that God has planned for us, for, for all that's coming to an end here and the new beginning that is coming. It's our faith that carries us in and all the things that we had to give up to survive in our faith will be added to us, Jesus says, a hundred times more. 
And that's what he's concerned about. Again, here he goes again. I was afraid that in some way the tempter, clearly a reference to Satan, two times in this he's referred to active work of Satan in the lives of Christians to prevent them from following God. If you're not aware of the spiritual warfare that comes around you, and sometimes we're not, partly because Satan is so subtle, but partly is because we don't really, oh, we admit there's spiritual warfare, but we don't really understand it, we haven't engaged in it, that Satan is active in your life, using other people, using lies, using things he whispers to get us away from Christ. Paul said, I was afraid in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain, that your faith would have faltered. So Timothy goes to help the Thessalonians get to the point where their faith is overcoming their circumstances rather than their circumstances overcoming their faith. That's the whole point. And we'll learn right after this, Timothy comes back and he gives a report of what's going on and then Paul writes this letter to strengthen them so that they have a resilient faith, a faith that can be tested, that can be pulled, that can go through difficulties, but will recover and be stronger. And that's why he writes this book. Now, the interesting thing about this book is it was written, and this happened about 2,000 years ago, so we know what happened as a result of this. The church in Thessalonica actually thrived in the first century. In fact, for several centuries, that church just became a bastion of Christianity in an ever-changing environment in the, in the Aegean, the sea that it's around, that whole area of lower southern Europe. That Thessalonica, the church there, remained strong, a fortress for the faith, a light. In fact, it became known after a few centuries as the Orthodox city. And the reason was that as waves of pagans would flood the area and come and attack and take over towns and bring their religion with them, Thessalonica stood and actually converted several of those waves of pagans that came and converted them to Christianity. It was known as the bastion of Christianity, the Orthodox city. They had a resilient faith that even being attacked by outside forces and, and, and the pillaging that was going on, the church remained strong and actually converted the people that attacked them. So we know they had a resilient faith. So that whatever is in this book helped become the foundation to a resilient faith, a resilient church. And that's why we are going to study it. But this book has within it things that will help us develop a resilient faith. Especially now, we are going through a test. Now our test is not persecution. It's not like the test they went through, but it is still a test. In some ways, we have the advantage of watching what happens uh, to churches south of the border because the U.S., in many parts, is farther ahead in returning to normal, whatever that's going to mean, and returning back to where people are gathering together. And there's places in the States where that's going full bore right now. And we're able to hear from pastors what's happening in their churches. How, what impact has, pan, has the pandemic had on people? 
And most of them say, from what I'm reading, I hear two things. Uh, One is that obviously people are slow to return because, I mean, this is a major pandemic. It it brings with us health concerns. And so people are just taking their time to to before they're feeling safe to return. And and for those of you that are are there and you're taking your time, I totally understand. We understand that, that each person has different circumstances and they have to work through them with wisdom. But don't forget this, with wisdom and faith. There's a, we need to use wisdom in understanding the world around us and who we are, but we also have to have faith to trust God. And at some point, wisdom and faith will combine and help you to make the return to church. Because it's here at church we gather to worship and hear the word that's unlike, like many, many, many people, and I found this when I was uh, worshiping from home, it's just not the same when I'm worshiping online. In fact, my family says, could you please not sing? They don't really, but I know they're thinking it because I'm thinking it. I'm like, wow, man. When you're just alone in a room or just with a few other people, you realize how bad your voice is. That's why I like the music. It just drowns out my voice. I can sing along all I want. So there's that aspect that's happening. People that are uh, uh, trying to work through their return through wisdom and faith. But then there's this other group that pastors were a little bit surprised to find out that was having an effect. It's that they don't have a problem with gathering because they're gathering. They're going places. They're doing things. They're, they, they, they're finding that the people who haven't spent money over the last year doing the things they want to do, like traveling and meeting uh, up with family and, and other groups of friends and doing events together and adventures and, and relationships they're, 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 they're just finding, the pastors are saying they're just finding church to be in the way. That's an interesting effect. And it puts me back to Jesus' words. Because, by the way, he was the one that commanded us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So he says that uh, be careful that you don't gain the whole world. Get all the things you want, but lose your soul. Be careful what you put your hope in to give you a sense of life that you miss the life, the true life that he offers. So that's, that's see that the impact of COVID that's having on us, it's, it, it's, it's shifting our priorities. It's shifting our desire. It's creating room for apathy. It's creating room for doubt. And if we are not careful, it's not that we can avoid those things. If we're not careful, we will not respond in faith to them, but instead we will be shaped by them. Our circumstances will shape us more than our faith. And that's what Paul was worried about, and that's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about you. Are your circumstances shaping you more than your faith, or your faith more than your circumstances? So, if you are, um, if right now you're struggling with uh, spiritual exercises, those disciplines, because, you know, there's been, you've been inundated with TV and, and uh, gaming or social media, and uh, you just don't seem to have the energy for the effort it takes. If you've been struggling with that apathy, 
If you sense that your, your relationship with God has been growing colder through this time period. If, if fear has been really dominating your decision making and your thinking and your attitudes toward other people. If you're struggling and saying, I, I'm not sure I'll ever return. And by the way, Barna Research, uh, they're a, a research company that works primarily with, uh, um, in the, in, among churches. It does other research too, but they're a professional research company. They, they have been following, ever since the start of the pandemic, they have been researching and working with people to discover attitudes and heart uh, ideas and thinking on people. And throughout this pandemic, they have come to the conclusion that 20% of the people that used to attend church before COVID happened, 20% of them will not return to church when it's over. That's the thinking among the people that they're dealing with. All Christians, all claim to be Christians, all were attending church before COVID, 20% are thinking, yeah, I don't think I'll ever go back. And so as we're in this test, we need to develop a faith that is resilient to the test that we're in. It's been going on a long time. But God has allowed that. And he has purpose for it. And what we know is we need to have a resilient faith, a faith that can be tested, a faith that can be hit, a faith that can be pushed, a faith that can be tried, but responds and re re returns and, and even stronger than it was before the test. And 1 Thessalonians is a book written for that very reason, and that's why we're going to study it. And so I invite you and ask you, will you join me through the study of 1 Thessalonians for April and May? Just answer that question. God, I'll join. Will you join us as we work through this study of 1 Thessalonians so that you can build a resilient faith that will honor Christ in the way you live, in the way you think, the way you act. Jesus, as we have to confront and deal with that question in our lives, would you press upon us the importance of our faith? Unfortunately, in our world, part of the world, where we have so much blessing and so much mobility and so much uh, opportunity, faith can seem like one of those things that we pack on a trip that if we need it, we'll use it, but it's not really the most important thing. And yet Jesus and saying, what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul, says this is not something you pack in your suitcase on this trip that if you need it, you pull out. He's saying it is your ticket. Without it, you're going nowhere. It is the most important thing. And so God, as we struggle in this time of testing, as we seek you, would you create within us resilient faith? And for those that are struggling, I pray you would give them the courage and the strength to, to be here each week to learn how to build a resilient faith. I pray for your glory, for your honor. 